0: Welcome
1: one and all throughout time and space for this episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at an anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode, we will cover our personal top five winter 2022 anime, after which we will give our thoughts on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2012 anime franchise Kamisama Kiss. My name is Sam Martinez. I'm a part-time weeb, full-time automobile mechanic. And with me, as always, is Jay Johnson, our part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now, Jay, I have to say, uh, the other day, I had finally gotten a weebish thing that I have ordered online. Actually, because of you. You put me onto uh, this website, Mini Katana. And they were selling Uzui's sword at the time, Tengen Uzui. And bro, I am not going to lie, when I opened up the packaging, I felt like going and slaying some demons.
2: Yeah, because like it's um, real tensile steel, right? So it's actually a blade blade. It's not actually like safe for conventions, essentially.
1: I have to look at it again to see if it's full tang or half tang. But as you said, it is metal and it is sharp. I would have to comment on the pricing a little bit because when I have gotten my other two swords, the uh, Trafalgar Law and the Toshiro Hitsugaya sword, those were what? Uh, Trafalgar Law I got within the last five years. My Toshiro Hitsugaya sword within the last 10 years. And both of them, they're both fully metal. I don't know if they're completely sharp, but they they both are metal and full tang, I believe. And I was able to get them under fifty dollars, both of them uh, separately. Whereas with this one, I was uh, the price was like one thirty five, one forty, and it's. It's a pretty big jump, like within those last few years, and it it's just interesting. I feel like um when it was getting closer to the pandemic, everything was starting to go up in price, and now I can't find anything that's metal under one hundred, so I just felt like that was just an odd observation um, but uh talking about uh battle anime. I know that uh this past week the Dragon Ball is it Dragon Ball Legends or is it Dragon Ball Z Legends?
2: Yeah, Dragon Ball Z Legend.
1: Dragon Ball Z Legend. It's a uh what's the word? It's a original animation fan um homage to the Dragon Ball Z franchise where it's it's so pretty and one thing that's just very odd to me is that they, they there's definitely creative liberties taken with the story but it's just like every dragon ball fan every dragon ball z fan just loves it it just seemed like everybody just it just went cray cray for it when it dropped. and i wanted your thoughts on it on why do you think it became so popular so quickly
2: right because i think we're living in an age where you know, this can be done through fan animation. And a lot of fans now have grown up to be animators and you know, a lot of properties in the anime industry are being produced because they grew up on anime in the West and it's been globalized, so you got a lot of cultural influences. But mm-hmm. it's definitely serving the same function as Marvel has done with the What If series. And
0: it's also compounded okay.
2: by the fact that Dragon Ball has done Dragon Ball Z was it Dragon Ball Z Heroes or Dragon Ball Z Heroes
1: No it's 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 Dragon Ball S Heroes like um so it yeah it, it's it's in the Super yeah it's in the Interesting.
2: Super okay yeah so it's basically a not what if but it's one of those stories that deal with the alternate universe of Dragon Ball and you see like different iterations of Goku of Trunks of Vegeta so whatever
1: oh that 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 is
2: that is um
1: uh, it's based off of a game. I think it's like one of those Xenoverse things. Um, I think that one it's called like Dragon Ball Hero or Superhero. It's very weird. And Dragon Ball Super is when they're following the uh tournament of the universe arcs, you know, that sort of thing. It's right. weird, like it, like the the naming conventions does mu- muddy up the waters a little bit.
2: Right. And Dragon Ball has already deal dealt with time travel, so you know, multi dimensional. Travel, uh-huh. especially when they start dealing with. I mean, they established that in canon that there's multiple universes. So there's going to be multiple iterations of like the Saiyans or the Tuffles from Dragon Ball GT, for example. So this kind of feels akin to that, that the, the creative, the creator of this was Nazar Pasha and his YouTube channel is Mystery Meat or Mystery Meats something. Um, I forgot the third word by that. But yeah, it's that it's filling in what fans love doing. They love writing fan fiction. They love doing mm-hmm. fan ups, and it is a story that takes the core of Goku and Chi Chi meeting again at the end of Dragon Ball, where they're like grown up, and it leads into Dragon Ball Z, where they have a kid. But it mm-hmm. introduces one Brawly to the like introduces Brawly earlier in the story, and also introduces Vegeta as somewhat of a more mature oh, in- version, not mass yeah. murderer. So it's kind of feels akin to how if Frieza never existed in this universe, how things might have gone because we've seen uh, Raditz and Nappa still alive essentially, even though it would be happening later in Dragon Ball Z. But yeah, it's like smooth animation. It took the dude and his creative team four years to do. So it's like all love. Oh, really? really? Love.
1: It took four years? That's crazy. And it's only, what, 20? I don't think it is even twenty minutes. Maybe fifteen minutes long. I believe it's 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 a very short. It's a very short. I'm thinking like um it, as you said, it must have been a passion project because you said him and his team they must have been doing that in their part uh and and uh, their off time if because like if if he has a team it I feel like it would have been done a lot quicker if they just focused all their time on it. But it seems like they have normal uh,
2: everyday lives. Right, so if you go to his, if you wait until the end of the video on his YouTube channel, he has a message to uh, the viewers explaining that that it was a non-profit project. Mm-hmm. All of his animators and creative team did not receive any pay while this was being done. So it was just a passion project, like you said. So it's something that hopefully now that there's like 6 million views on it and it's spread across Instagram and Facebook, so there's probably a lot twice as much. Mm-hmm. than what the YouTube video is showing but yeah it's definitely hopefully that he's going to get funding like if he starts a Patreon well he has a Patreon but if he starts like funding this for the next project cuz it ends very much on a cliffhanger so hopefully the next episode like he says in the in the video that it won't take another 4 years so but yeah I was overly excited for it I watched it like 5 times <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would have to say my favorite part in that video even though it was probably like the most diverging from it uh, or At least, like, from the Dragon Ball War, it was when Goku... I, I guess that would be his equivalent of his Super Saiyan form, or sort of like a rage, or... Not necessarily a rage, it could be, like, his Ozaru form, like his uh, Great Ape form. Where he basically breathes out fire, and the fire engulfs his face, and he turns into a sun wukong version of ghost rider where his hair is sort of on fire just like that whole and major sequence it catches you off guard and it's so clean and it's so cool that uh like even though like as i said like it diverges from the lore so much i'm like i can i can get behind this <laughs> it's like it was done so well it's like random but this is really really cool like that that was that was my favorite part what about you did you have a favorite part
2: yeah there is a moment mm-hmm. where i think it's in one of their fusions i think it's like vegeto or Gogeta, where he gets an energy sword and mm-hmm. vegeta pulls out the energy sword in this transferring like all his super saiyan energy into the sword and then cuts off brawley's hand i was like okay that's exactly what's you know definitely adult dragon ball z fans want to see is like the gore that potentially goes along with <laughs> the property mm-hmm
1: yeah, bait, bait, like you said, that energy sword and like it sort of works like a lightsaber too, because like as soon as he cut it, like it cauterizes it, so it like you get a little bit of blood blood spray, but like you still get to see like um uh, some of the meat hanging out. So like you said, just a little bit like that uh, adult, um or at least that mature content that you would get in these epic fights. And I can't wait to see the next episode, really. I, I think I'm going to try to follow him a little bit more on YouTube a bit. Oh, my goodness, Jay. So, like, just talking and gushing about, you know, uh, this anime. I know uh, coming up we are going to be talking about our top five winter anime from from this past season. And, boy, am I going to be gushing <laughs> Because there was actually some good winter anime this past season, dog. Uh, What about you? Do you feel the same? Or do you feel as though there wasn't enough good anime to be talked about?
2: It's easy to say, like, there was enough Mm. good anime. There's probably not enough good new anime. So Mm -hmm. I think we can talk about, like, the difference between sequels or split second cores, essentially, is what what the industry has called it. But, yeah, new anime, I'm not going to say to mention that the winter season has always been like a carryover from the previous year because you know usually seasons are split and they skip a season so like all the summer anime from last year has their second core in the winter so it's not Mm -hmm. the best time to start new anime it's usually a season for sequel or second core so but yeah i there was a lot of hype going on for the winter season but yeah i'm ready to talk about it
1: awesome let's go ahead and get to it so time code in the description below as we are about to go over our top five winter anime for the year 2022 and we will ensue or not ensue begin this segment by explaining the rules of weeb skitball and (laughs) jay i know i always put you on the spot but would you Care to go over the rules for Weebskipball for those who are new to our uh, podcast?
2: Yeah, it's a very easy game that we have for whenever we make tier lists, where if it's a top 10 or top 5, if we share the same spot, we say Kobe, meaning that it's in the same spot. If it's a Yeet, meaning that it's a choice selection is higher on someone else's list, or a Bench, meaning it's not on the other person's list. So again, this is for the best anime that came out for winter 2022 that ran from december basically to april for like a 12-week period essentially so yeah uh winter was very interesting for a couple reasons but my number five let's just start there so yeah let's do that is going to be (laughs) funny story my number five is going to be demon slayer uh, entertainment district you know from where you got your inspiration to buy your new sword. So.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness so that is a yeet for me i feel like you knew that though
2: <laughs> yeah for sure yeah because um i'm a little bit not of a terrible fan mm-hmm. of this season but we can talk about that later because it's higher on your list but let's mm-hmm. go to your number five
1: so my number five is the anime known as orbital children,
2: oh, interesting, okay, that is a bench for me. What's that? I've never heard of that actually uh it was actually an anime
1: that I came across on Netflix. I thought that it was a bit of an older anime because when it dropped, it was already an English dub, but you know, looking back at the list, it turns out that it had dropped during the winter time, and we follow this society where uh they so- somewhat similar to psychopaths in the sense of they have this overarching uh system that's governed by this um AI and basically the AI can predict the future and we follow these two kids that were born on a space station, they were the last ones that were sort of born on a space station because uh, the society learned that having children being born out in space is not necessarily the best thing ever. So the kids, they're in transitioning to uh, building up their bodies so that they can go back to Earth. And while during their studies, they have a tour group that had won a competition to come and explore the space station. And while they are there, some shenanigans ensue that lead into a prophecy that was made by the AI. Apparently, this is the... Uh, uh the, the AI, there was like seven iterations of it, and they had reverted the AI to a previous iteration because as the AI became so advanced, it sort of became uncontrollable in the sense that it became overwhelmed with its own intelligence. And during that seventh iteration, it gave prophecies for stuff that was going to happen. And as the tour group is going throughout this awesome uh, uh space station, some of the things that are happening from a prophecy are starting to unfold. And so we follow the children that live on the ship along with the people who are touring the satellite and trying to figure out to survive and prevent the prophecy from being fulfilled because it led to the destruction of humanity and it's a nice uh, light watch despite uh, how I described it and it's very interesting because the main character that lives in the space station he does not want to go to earth and he has uh complex about moving uh to earth so it's very interesting seeing the characters sort of help him work through that and um it was a pretty solid story and the animation's done very well and that's why it's on my top five list
2: all right cool so so going back and forth as we exchange our spots my number four is case study of vanitas
1: Oh, that is a bench for me. It's an honorable mention, but it's a bench for me. Why don't you tell us why it's number four on your list? And a little bit about Vanitas. Because this is the second core,
2: as you said? Correct, yeah. So it wraps up the 24, sorry, yeah, 24 episodes of the first season of Vanitas, or Case Study of Vanitas. And it's a Studio Bones production. It's available on Hulu or Funimation. And essentially, it's set up in a world where, well, the setting is like the 1920s and 1930s uh, Paris, but it's a steampunk alternative world where essentially vampires exist separate from humans. But the vampires exist because of a alchemic kind of alteration of the world because of a world engine. It's kind of left up to like interpretation about what happened because it's not so centered on that. But the whole course of the story is basically vanitas who is a uh, i don't want to ruin that but he's essentially dealing with the vampire world as a vampire doctor curing curse bearers which are vampires that can't control their bloodlust and his co-star is noe who is a vampire that can read people's memories and emotions by drinking their blood so it's a very interesting sherlock holmes kind of watson kind of story with supernatural elements thrown in there so I very much like that kind of drama and thriller based Mm -hmm. around mysticism. So it does ride this fine line between science and mysticism, which I find very engaging. The 24 episodes go by very quickly, especially when they dive into different cultures of the vampires' lives. Because all vampires have kind of a affiliation to being anti-human or pro-human. But it's also set up in a world where there was a great war. So there's a lot of political elements at work. There's a lot of sci-fi elements at work. So it's just an overall, over, um, well-rounded series for a lot of genres. But um, I liked it a lot. So it's just a little bit ahead of Demon Slayer for me. But you benched it, and I think we watched a few episodes together. Did we do that?
0: Yeah,
1: I think we did. We watched a couple, and then we started on our own. I'm not going to lie, it was uh you and our mutual friend Alonzo that did uh help me endear it a little bit more. I was frustrated with the show in the beginning because they weren't really clear on the power system to me, not at first, but then as you go on like it becomes a little bit more intuitive on what can be done and I had to look at it as as a different uh type of story because when you say vampires like it's not the traditional vampires but they do explain what they mean by vampires it's just not within the first three episodes and you have to do a little bit of work but i feel as though it's going to be easier to do the most because of the interactions between the characters uh just makes the entire show very endearing
2: Right, because Studio Bones is again the studio, but it has a very mm-hmm. unique feel to the humor, very much similar to Full Metal Alchemist, especially the dynamic between the two main leads. But yeah, uh, that's my number four. What about your number four?
1: My number four is Tokyo 24th Ward.
2: Oh, interesting. Uh, that is a bench for me.
1: And I'm not going to lie, I had started watching this. Um, to try to prepare uh, for the list. Because I know like I was interested in it. But I hadn't made time for it. And after watching this. I do say I think you may enjoy this one a little bit Jay. So twenty uh, Tokyo 24. Is a work by Studio Cloverworks. So uh, the people that did Black Clover. Things like that. And it can also be seen on Funimation. As well as Crunchyroll. And... Uh, <laughs> In uh this society, uh we the society is also dealing with a program similar to Sybil and psychopaths. However, with this one, it's a little bit more robust. Whereas it doesn't just predict uh crime rate or predict who is more susceptible to do crime, but it also does uh predicts um weather phenomena so it can predict whether or not a tornado is going to appear or an earthquake is going to happen things of that nature but uh with the society it's on the cusp of um integrating this system and uh tokyo 24 the 24th ward this 24th ward is sort of the um experimental ward to see whether or not this system can be integrated to the rest of tokyo Uh, and we follow three main characters um that's known as rrbg because of their hair colors um, red blue and green and uh we follow them after a year after there was an accident where a friend of theirs passed away and After that, they've sort of split up and um, sort of did their own, uh, went on their own way. And for the anniversary of uh, their friend's death, they came back for the funeral. They started to reconnect. And then they all get a call from their dead friend. And they pick it up and they all receive a vision of a... Uh, what, what they call it is a, uh, trolley dilemma, which is a question that, that you're very fond of getting people's answers for, where basically they have to choose between saving the few versus saving the many. And then after the call, it's as though their hot, their brains get, uh, um, get hacked to where they can do superhuman feats and we get to see their own sense of justice be played out. For instance, one is uh one is working with the group that are trying to install this new version of the civil system. And another one is a he he has a gang where he is actively trying to undermine that system. And the third is uh Somebody who claims to be a hero of justice and we get to see them work together in order to solve these uh, trolley problems and them trying to figure out who who is essentially putting these trolley problems in place. So it's been a very fun ride. It's been very interesting, and that's why I'm not finished with it yet, but I do believe that the payoff would be very good at the end. So that's why it's sort of high up on my list.
2: All right, sweet. So my number three is the only new anime that premiered in the season, and it Mm -hmm. is My Dress Up Darling.
1: Oh my goodness, that is a Kobe dog.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is very rare to have a Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so this is a this was the second work done by Clover Works uh for the season. And it's twenty or it's twelve episodes, available on Funimation. And essentially it's a story, um uh, was it would it be a romantic comedy, I guess? Uh, I yeah, it would, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah it would be a romantic Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's between basically comedy. a introverted a uh, high school student who was basically um discouraged from pursuing his love of doll making and he like shut himself away and he runs into uh, another high school student who she is basically a aspiring cosplayer and they basically come together to be a team for you know cosplay design and I was like wow this is a wild Niche kind of thing to pursue with such beautiful works. Yeah, like, so you mentioned Clover Works, other productions, but yeah, the story is very endearing because it's basically opening both of the characters up to things they weren't really expecting. Uh, the main female lead is very brash and like open with her friends, and like she's the popular girl, the school not ashamed of her passions, which is anime and cosplay, while he is ashamed of what he loves and was hidden away. So it's like opening up him to. You know, openly showing what he's in love with. And it's a very weird dynamic. So, like, everyone was claiming that, like, she's best waifu and top tier girl. But she's so well written to explore, like, the subtleties of, like, being an extrovert and, like, how there are gaps in, like, your personality. So it's, like, a good character study for both of the main leads. And I was like, oh, but then you center in, like, cosplay and the technical side of it. There's a lot of shop talk behind it. And it gets introduced into, like, filmography and staging in the convention scene not too much of like what it means to go to conventions but more of the shop talk of making a good costume design so it's very interesting but it's on your level three as well or spot three so what did you like about it
1: i would say very much as you said with how she helped him pretty much uh realize that what he likes as a hobby is very acceptable because. As you said, he he, his doll making him growing up. It's sort of like, oh, you're a boy, you play with dolls. Whereas, you know, he doesn't view it like that, but he's sort of forced to view it in that way. And with her, she is able to, um, she was able to help him accept that his skills can translate to other stuff. Showing, you know, just validating all of his work and all this time that he has dedicated to doll making and it's really cool because he's already at a high level but he's still learning and he what he learns from cosplaying he can implement into his own doll making business that he has with his grandfather and you know just sort of reinforcing the idea that whenever you're introducing anybody to your hobby or somebody uh into or into a niche uh network that it's always better to be open and compassionate to some of the newer people so that you know they can come as, you, as because you're showing something that you love you don't necessarily want to gatekeep and um one thing that I you mentioned attention to detail so with the character uh that doll makes one thing that he does is before he makes a dress on a character that she wants he goes through and he watches the anime so he can get a feel for the character or he can get a sense of what type of outfits they wear that way it can be as authentic as he can possibly do it and it's just very funny because like they uh deal with uh some realistic things that you necessarily don't work about oh sorry necessarily don't think about, such as overheating uh in your cosplay or having to have a change of clothes um just in case uh something happens or having like a an emergency uh sewing kit on you. You know, things of that nature. So and it's very, very endearing and the story is pretty solid and uh that that's sort of why it's my number three.
2: Okay, good, yeah. So and just just to close out because it's mm-hmm. so high up on my list, but yeah, there's one a moment where uh Marin is her name and Gojo is the other uh is the cosplay designer guy. But yeah, she says like I don't wanna cosplay people that I don't actually look like realistically. So, like, Mm -hmm. even to that degree of, like, being a dedicated cosplayer, like, you even, she even took into consideration, like, characters she wants to cosplay as, but don't actually fit her own, you know, existing body type. Her body type. Yeah, her body type. So, I was like, oh, well, that's a lot of what cosplayers have in mind when they do cosplay people, like, definitely um, cosplayers of um, color, where they want to Mm -hmm. see, like, more characters and cosplay people for that reason, but... Yeah, so that's your number three and my number three. So my number two is Attack on Titan Final Season Part (laughs) 2.
1: Bro, get out of my head. That's another Kobe. (laughs)
2: Easy, easy dubs. Um, So, cool. so this is a Studio Mapper production. Part two was 12 episodes. It was available on Hulu. And, you know, I don't think we have to linger on why Attack on Titan is great, but The only downside to the season was that it's a part two and Studio Mappa was very much keeping it close to the vest about the idea or how many episodes they were going to have in total for the final season. So you have to say Attack on Titan final season part two, (laughs) because it's not cores. It's not a split season. They're like parts. So part three premieres in 2023. So they've been kind of doing it every single year for the past. Two years now, but yeah, the most hyped thing about the season was essentially this is where Aaron goes quote unquote bad. He does become a antagonist. I've seen people talk about yeah, because last year he got a nominated at the Crunchyroll Awards as the yeah. an antagonist of Attack on Titan, which is not true because you can have protagonists that are villains, like we talked about Tanya uh of the Evil as like an mm-hmm. example, as a case example, but. Yeah, it's just a weird turn for that characters and people are uh conflating it with like a change of role, but no. But yeah, it was a excellent season, but yeah, Sam, it's your number 2 as well. So what's up?
1: Uh pretty much like for those same things. It's uh e- even at the beginning of the season, we are shown things from a different perspective basically t- telling the same story from season 1 and we are but we were seeing it from the other side and with Aaron Doing all uh, that he's been doing. It's been giving me all the anxiety. And it's just very interesting now. Because I want to see how the main core group is going. what, What they're going to do moving forward. And how they've been coping with it. More mainly Armin and Mikasa. They're the ones that I'm really focused about. Because they're the ones that are more tied to Aaron, And with the choices that he's made them trying to gripple with that as well as with the people that they are working with. Um, It's just, it's, it, it's, it's horrible. It's like all my favorite people are hurting, but I want to see how they come outside of this hurt. And it's, it's just got me going that way. And I'm really hoping that there's more to Aaron's plan than what he says it is because much like Mappa, he's been keeping things close to the chest. So I don't know. Maybe if that's just wishful thinking at this point. Uh, but you, from from what we've seen, it seems like there's always something uh, that he has in the back of his mind that he hasn't been telling everybody. So I'm just interested to see where that goes.
2: Right. And that's just good storytelling because I've been spoiled mm-hmm. to how Demon Slayer ends and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Nice shoujo uh, shonen ending. But yeah, the mm-hmm. manga community has been very uh, tight lipped about the ending of Attack on Titan. I'm glad that I haven't been spoiled to because if I was spoiled oh, to yeah. how part two was going to go, I would actually be pissed. And I think that's just credit to how the story is written because you didn't, I don't think you can really predict how Attack on Titan has progressed from where it was like a suspense horror anime from season one to where it is as a political drama for season the final season so Mm -hmm. um that's our number two so okay let's see if our number ones are the same but my number one is ranking of kings
1: oh my goodness uh that's an honorable mention for me it's a bench
2: yeah so this is a wit studio production i think this is what they dropped from attack on titan as well as Spy x family to do Mm -hmm. for this year so again the reason why they Switch from Mappa to or uh, Wit to Mappa is because of the time crunch that Wit would have been under that um, Mappa was you know kind of firm and that they could handle. So it switched over at the last season to Mappa. But yeah, Seal Wit is or a competitor basically of Mappa for the last ten years. So this is a ranking of kings based off a manga series, twenty-three episodes available on Funimation, and essentially it follows a prince who is death and he's basically been made fun of for his whole lo- life and it's really hard to say why the story is good because it's so driven by its characters it's one of those stories that if you don't really mm-hmm. get attached to the struggles and drama of the character's motivations then you're not really going to have a good time there's a lot of world building to it to why even the title itself gives away to the mystery element like why are kings ranked in this world but for all the supernatural elements that goes on inside the story is very well put together it all makes sense congruently I guess with how they do very light work with the first three episodes it's like one of those Mm -hmm. stories that will like you can look back in a retrospective way like oh that's how everything tied into um, one another so again that's just credit to the writing and the character building but yeah, it's um, O.G. is best boy. Uh, Boji is best boy. And I think he was yes. nominated or won for that at the Crunchyroll Awards. But with the winter season, it closed up with its 23 episodes with a very nice ending that if they come up with a season two, I wouldn't be mad. But definitely satisfying ending of a you know, hero walks into the sun kind of way. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. But Sam, what is your number one? Which I have to say bench to, but you know. <laughs>
0: oh
1: no it's the yeet from earlier it's the oh, right demon right. slayer entertainment district guard
2: already forgot about it because it was my number five but yeah um demon slayer You you studio so it's so high mm. on your list so why did it make your number one spot
1: oh my it it, it really improved on uh, at least for me it improved on everything um after Mugen train um the I would say a lot of it too has to be because of the character Tenzin um Uzui. Like, uh we we see that he steps in to try to take the uh role well, doesn't necessarily try to step in, but he, he he is essentially given the role of the um Hashira mentor for our uh, big 3 characters. He we, we even get a scene where um uh Rengoku sort of passes it along to him and he accepts it and he does it in his own way. He doesn't try to be Rengoku but like his actions they are clearly inspired by him but he still does things his own way. So he is not only respecting Rengoku's wishes, but he's also being true to himself as well. And it's, uh, I don't know. He's just, his character is just so charismatic and just so great. Um, And not only that, but how the uh, demon in this arc that they deal with Just the parallels between this demon and Tanjiro and Nezuko, it's just it's just very impactful and helps them grow a little bit, and and it's kind of hard to have a character like Tanjiro do that because it's more he he's a little bit like Luffy in the sense that he helps the world grow around him. He's not necessarily the one doing growth. But he has a realization on a path that could have happened between him and Nesko, and it's uh, sort of heartfelt. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. Just, just, just all the fights with Tengen—it's done very well in the sense of you know they have a good physical fight and the emotional fight that happens uh, alongside it. It's just. Yeah, it, it, it's just beautiful.
2: You have to consider that the Entertainment District, mm-hmm. or at least Season 2 of Demon Slayer, is not even split 50-50 between a uh, compilation version of Mugen Train. So, mm-hmm. if you think about like the structure of a season and introducing new material, it doesn't do that because all the Entertainment District is is two episodes of setup and then six episodes of one fight, essentially. And if you look at it just from a narrative standpoint, I was like, "Um, I like the original episode or the episode zero for introducing uh, the family dynamic between Ren Goku and his father and like the legacy he's trying to carry on. So I was like, okay, that's a good add on to Mugen Train. But essentially most of the season is just a retelling of Mugen Train with some additional scenes, not enough to really warrant a complete like, Retelling of it or like a re presenting of it, but it's basically moving train with one extra episode, and then yeah. the next part being the entertainment district is just about seven episodes. Which of most of that is just one fight where you really get to see Tanjiro take over essentially what will be like flame dancing. Sorry, that's not flame dancing, it's sun dancing or sun breathing, especially yeah, from his father. So there's okay. a lot of interlay of like what makes demon slayer good again talking about why caught in popularity from episode 19 where he's going against the spider demon uh lower moon but mm-hmm. they're dealing with the upper moon this time so it warrants why the fight takes so long but of all that it just makes the line like the separation between honorable mentions and my top five for that reason because it's not really a full season it's basically one fight done very well by Studio Defotable, (laughs) so I was like okay, I can give it credit for that, but if it doesn't win, you know, Crunchyroll's best fight of the year, or if there's something that comes out better this year than that, I will be very surprised but that is an extraordinary, well-choreographed fight and sound from a sound design standpoint as well from a visual standpoint, so that's my why it made my bottom tier for the list, but to wrap up this so we can move yes. on to our anime ten-year discussion, my top five for Winter 2022 was Demon Slayer Entertainment District, which is Season 2, Case Study of Vanitas, Season 1, My Dress Up Darling, Season 1, Attack on Titan Final Season Part 2, and then my number one spot went to Ranking of Kings, Season 1.
1: And my top five for the Winter Anime 2022 are Orbital Children, Tokyo 24th Ward, My Dress Up Darling, Attack on Titan, Season 4, Part 2, and Demon Slayer Entertainment District Arc.
2: All right, wonderful. So we'll come back next episode with our best anime from spring 2022, because we usually don't review the year's best anime until the very end of the year. So we have enough Mm -hmm. time to really consider what it, but it's nice to come back, you know, two seasons away or stepped away from it to actually let it settle on you know, uh, settle on our brain to evaluate it fully. But yeah, yeah I'm ready to talk about our ten year anniversary review.
1: Let's go ahead, and let's do it. Yes, it's we'll be talking about Jay's pick, Kami kiss and again, uh time codes, description below. And uh for those oh, oh Jay, you you wanted to mention about our YouTube uh viewers or listeners?
2: Oh yeah, of course, because On our regular standard episodes, we have two segments where we talk about either the anime news or a special topic and then go into our 10 year anniversary review. So on YouTube, you'll find the 10th or the 10th anniversary review by itself. But on Spotify, you'll find the full episodes. So you have your choice of seeing a nice visual component to the actual review. And then you can listen to our beautiful sultry voices for the full hour length. For the news or special topic and review. So it's a nice combination to offer everyone a choice between the two or do both. But yeah, same name, weebs on the weekends, can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. So this is Kamisama Kiss or Kamisama no Kiss. And it is the 10th year anniversary, which premiered back in October of 2012. So we're a little bit early of the 10 year anniversary, but that's okay. So, this is based off of a manga series that ran from 2008 to 2016. It falls into the category of rom com with some sci fi elements on the side. And then we go to the anime, which was animated by studio TMS Entertainment, ran for 13 episodes with some OVAs in between. It's season two, which ran in 2015 for 12 episodes. And the premise of it is Nanami, who is a normal high school a uh, high school student is marked as the new land god or earth god depends on the kanji but with this marking she inherits a shrine and familiar to- tome tome who is a reformed fox spirit and she's basically in charge of dealing with uh, demons and yokais and their interaction with humans and kind of of being a matchmaker as well so it's available on hulu and funimation and my overall experience with this was a first time viewing. How about you, Sam?
1: This was my first time viewing as well. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I I knew it was supposed to be a comedy, but I didn't realize just like how high octane that it was going to be. Uh, what, what was your, What was your first reactions to it?
2: Right, because I didn't really expect the comedy to be so not unique, but it has a very specific space inside the anime community, so mm-hmm. yeah, we talked about before how you haven't seen Aura on Host Club, so it's the same high-octane, like you said, uh, comedic uh, feel to it. So, like, if you were going to summarize this outside of the premise, I would say this is uh, you, uh, Inuyasha plus Natsumi's Books of Friends, where we mm-hmm. talked about Natsumi's Books of Friends before in a previous episode, but Inuyasha is the whole dynamic of being in the demon world with a conjunction with the human world Uh, priestess main female lead with a demon dog kind of uh servant so in the first episode uh tomei like becomes her familiar but she does it in a very yuasha kind of way by kissing him and making her familiar by force essentially but Uh yeah the comedy does stem from the same that you can find with or on host club that Basically comes with this kind of kabuki kind of feel to it. And if you want to know anything about kabuki, it's kind of the Japanese equivalent to like the Looney Tune aesthetic. <laughs> so there's a lot of exaggeration movement, exaggerated motion, speaking. There's a lot of, uh, comic elements that go into it since it's a visual medium, but it's high octane. Man, that's such a perfect word for it. It's that <laughs> you don't, you feel that high energy coming from how the characters speak and their interactions and the uh the stick uh the slapstick nature of it but uh-huh. in our three episodes rulings we don't watch the full season of course because you know as experienced anime viewers the first three episode is written to make sure that it entices the viewer to make sure that it's worth your time so you know give it an hour see how you feel about it but with three episode tests uh was there anything that really stood out to you Sam about it was it a pass or fail for you? I
0: would
1: say it was definitely a pass in the sense that you, it it, it really did a good job showing you what it was going to do. Um, Even though like the episodes were 20, uh, th- 20 or 30 minutes, you felt as though you were given a lot of content, a lot of story building in the sense that you got a sense for what, how she was in her predicament um why she ended up moving to the shrine how she became the new uh land god how and what her what are entailed with her responsibilities and you also get to see that she's still in high school so she's going to have to balance that high school life and what dangers that she has now being a land god going out there In the regular world and that she has to have uh, precautions in place to for her own safety. And I even though like this, I guess um, it's not necessarily a harem, but with it being like a romantic comedy, you can see that as the story progresses, that she's going to have more suitors or more potential um, romantic partners. And some for good, some for ill, and how she's going to have to essentially sort through them um, in this wild ride. So I would say yeah, it it passes, and I'm not going to lie. As I had talked to you uh, outside of the podcast, I have been looking for a comedy that you don't really have to think about. And I was contemplating continuing the show just so I could have a comedy in the background as a, a white noise. So it's just a testament to how good the comedy is written in this show.
2: Right, because, again, right. if you look to like the shoujo scene, this is kind of like the humor aesthetic of a lot of manga. So when you get it translated into... The visual media of the anime, you have like moments of like speech bubbles coming out, a mm-hmm. lot of on screen visualization. Like we call that like the Gorla kind of studio trigger kind of impressionism yeah. where like the kanji comes on to screen. Yeah. There are like a lot of notable comedic elements that, you know, translate from other shoujos that you're familiar with. Like again, it's not a complete genre that I'm so familiar with, but Oran Host club is kind of the one that sits very held uh, like concrete in my mind so there are like the speech bubbles manifestation of like onomatopoeias there's like Mm -hmm. the shading that happens with characters like when they're depressed they get like the overlay of like shadows and like uh, straight lines over them to show that they're you know bold and line art i guess you would call it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like looney tune stretching of facial features there's like exaggerated um movement and speech like i said and that's the kind of kabuki element so if you ever want to talk about this kind of art style and the comedy that appears in anime you say it's kabuki-esque so there's a lot to the three episodes like you said sam that there is incredible pacing to it it's just like rapid motions like anatomy tells you about like oh her father's a deadbeat And she's responsible with like taking care of the house and herself. She's kicked out of the house in the beginning. That's kind of why the whole that's the initial um, inciting incident where she needs to find a place to live. And she helps essentially a homeless man who is in secret or has been in hiding uh, for the past 20 years. So she's like, "Um, oh, I saved you. And he's like, oh, as uh, thanks or penance, I'm going to give you a kiss on the forehead, which transfers like his responsibilities over to her and then gives her a place to you know be taken care of but also gives her responsibility and i think the really amazing thing about uh nanami as a character is that she's not a damsel and uh, damsel in distress that she has a yeah. lot of three dimensionality to her where she's a not a sundere i don't think she falls into that character but like she doesn't really have a personality typing like you would expect to be stereotypical for romantic comedy uh-huh. but she's very much of the Kagome kind of headstrongness and she speaks her yeah. mind she has a lot of responsibilities she stands up for those that are being oppressed she has like a lot of hobbies essentially she has like she feels like a well-rounded character because she sounds real whenever she talks and then Tome who is basically the second lead or the romantic interest i am assuming eventually is that he's just as stubborn-headed and as charismatic as she is and so they feed off of each other very well and usually that's the problem with harem romantic comedies it's like it's serving one of the parties but never both so Uh Tomei is definitely like resistance to serving a human but he in the beginning is like oh he can't help being you know, good natured about it as well because one, he's super powerful, and two, he's also a demon. So like, he's drawn into not being attracted to this human, but she—he's drawn into having a relationship with a human and being um, resilient to it. So like, there's already a push and pull dynamic to their relationship, and she even has like a curse kind of bounding to him where he has to follow what she says. So there's a lot to play at it but i think you're right about a lot of what you've said
1: i would say like that's one thing uh that's always been kind of interesting in shoujo anime right where it's uh well, we've seen that in this one we've seen it in yasha there was also another anime that we saw recently where i made uh, a similar comparison where basically the female main character has some power some physical power over the main male supporting character. Whether it's um he has to do what the main character says, or he has uh some actual like physical limitation that pulls him back towards her. And it's it's just a bit odd. I don't know, I guess like maybe it's sort of like a power fantasy uh for females that they would have, like how in a lot of uh, shonen anime, we would have like power fantasies where the guy doesn't really have to do anything, and they're a ladies' man. Like every uh, girl, like throws them themselves at him. Whereas in uh, the shoujo, uh, like for women's fantasies, like anything they do or they say, like the uh, male character would do it without question, regardless of against the action that they are it's just kind of weird um that you know that that's considered normal you know that you essentially made somebody a slave and yet it's still written off as a joke but i don't know women and people in general are just weird i'm I'm just trying to think um like the one thing that did seem kind of interesting moving forward was that one Uh, transfer student that seemed to be a Tengu how he wanted to um, seduce the how he wanted to seduce uh, Nanami because she is a land god and he was saying that like if he can like eat her heart then he would get her powers and because he is more acquainted with the human world, he is trying to finesse it a little bit more. And, you know, just, just and we saw earlier in the show how her having, like, the other gods' blessing, how that makes her very attractive in a nutritional sense to some of the other yokai. And having that transfer student come in, trying to be more methodical, in attaining her nutritional essence it would lead me to believe that we're going to have other quote-unquote antagonist uh romantic interests who are going to act in a similar fashion so that would be kind of interesting uh to watch moving forward
2: yeah so there's so that's what you're playing at when you talk about like there are like Mm -hmm. vibes of a harem anime in here somewhere yeah but it's like something that feel story driven versus just forced upon the story because Uh if you make the idea that divine power is a consumable item i guess (laughs) is that any human or spirit maiden or shrine priestess wherever that may go is that yeah that's why yokai or demons or monsters attack humans that is that their spiritual energy is a Nutrition to demons, so of course that's why there's a lot of needed interventions between humans and demons, and why there's attacks or why there are malicious spirits, and even she gets chased by a demonic hag in the first episode, and mm-hmm. that's again kind of sell so what the com- the comedic element of this is that is that Nanami wants to do everything on her own, and that's where the tension comes from is that Tome being in her service now, has to advise her, be her advisor to the de- demonic world and now she has to be cautious of any characters that might be masquerading as humans in the human world because yeah, he's a tengu, but he's also a school idol and he's has a lot of attraction with the other... She, he has like a school idol's attraction because he's a very nervous yeah. jerk that she was... You know she had an affection for at the beginning as a fan but when he revealed his true character then she became immediately disinterested and that again sells the idea that she has her own personality wants and opinions about people so again it's like a lot of that is derived from a good character study and it just doesn't feel forced upon the main character to be you know oh gather all the boys or gather all the girls catch them all <laughs> so yeah, the three-episode yeah. ruling that we do is basically saying that what is the initial setup to the story and does it engage the audience in a way that makes you want to go past it? And in the third episode, you get basically a example of... So the first episode sets up the premise, which is very fast-paced or high-octane. O- high you get in the second uh-huh. episode basically the trouble or danger of why she needs to do her job properly, or that she's going to be a target in the future, and why Tomei is so arrogant, um, aggressive about what she should do and what she shouldn't do. And in the second episode, you see that what her job entails is like building relationships between humans, even though Toei is in the camp of humans and demons shouldn't really interact. So it's like, again, building a dynamic of opposition and why both sides are needed in a conversation. And that's what they have. So I would say Mm -hmm. it is a good episode test because it covers all those things again it centers on a character centers on the premise in the world and basically makes them likable especially when you know potentially it gets a lot more dangerous down the road so i'm going to say it passed the three episode test
1: oh like, like it passed the three episode test for me as well um it's interesting that you mentioned how Tomoy has his opinion on where the relationships between Yokai and humans should be. And he voices them when uh, Nanami is doing her matchmaking for the swamp princess and the human. And that that's also a good example of, as you said before, her exercising her independence, her agency. Because Tomoe, he was doing his job, he advised her, he's like, yo, this shouldn't be this shouldn't be a thing. And Nanami is like, yo, I'm gonna do it anyways and she does it all on her own and her the scene where she was able to give uh the human that push that he needed to sort of uh defend the def- sorry defend the swamp uh princess from the boys that uh they ran into in the park it was very very heartfelt especially uh And that scene a little bit earlier when Tomoe was uh, being again the advisor, you know, saying like, "Hey, all you can really do is just set up the situation. Everything else is based on them. And then from that, you know, based on them, from that point forward, the only thing that you can do now is just give them that push that they may need. And you know, it was just a very heartfelt scene that, like, all the pieces were sort of in place to make the Uh, outcome that everybody wanted uh but going back to the main point that i was trying to say so you had mentioned that tomoe you know mentioned that his stance on the human yokai relations and yet he voiced his opinions about the princess and the human but he didn't mention anything about the tengu doing his own thing you know just like living amongst the humans like that and he is doing that within Nanami's realm right so you would think that like later on that Tomoe would be like hey man I told you yokais and humans can't live together we need to do something about this guy right something along those lines but I'm thinking he hasn't brought that up because her powers haven't really grown to fruition yet so That may be something that he'll try to introduce once she becomes more proficient with her abilities. But it it was just a supposed thought. But aside from that, are there any uh, last uh, minute thoughts that you would like to give on this anime, Jay? Before we give our verdict on Resurrection or Rebury?
2: No, no final thoughts. I think we covered it pretty. Mm -hmm. It's a very easy story to digest. Again, it's like something that I watched Mm -hmm. it in the dub. So I was very familiar with the vo- uh, voice cast of the dub because it's you know back in the early 2010s, which they share yeah. a lot of similarities between you know all actors, voice actors of the time. So like in Oran Host Club, there's a character with glasses, and he plays Tomei because he has that kind of dark energy of the all-knowing kind of character, and that's kind of the character he plays. And it's uh-huh. very important for you know voice actors to find a you know, a personality to fit into. So it's a ruling of, for me, you know, the three episodes past, but we also give a verdict if it should be resur- resurrected or reburied, meaning that we would suggest it, bring it back in, you know, 10 years later to resurrect it or rebury it, means it should stay in the past. And the verdict that I gave, uh, chi- uh, uh champion, I keep wanting to say champion, but it's, um, it's the Italian word, uh, champion, yep. champion um That because there are better versions of that story, that I wouldn't, I would rebury it. But with this, mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of other. You know, it's not a harem story. It's a romantic comedy. Again, we talked about my dress of darling, and it feels very much in the same vein of that. Is that the characters feel on equal standing, and that all the moments that have tension in it is derived from story beats? So even like your supposed thoughts, Sam, can be probably explained mm-hmm. away in later. Episodes of saying like, Oh, your powers aren't, you know, aren't where they should be. So I shouldn't even advise you with information that you have no use for. That does very much mm. well, seem like a character, uh, in character motivation for him to withheld information about the Tenku. Like, Oh, I'll just deal with him in secret, or I'll have her kill a yokai for the first time because that might just be part of the job. So I would say, mm-hmm. given how strong and high octane i love that you said that how octane the three episodes are i would say that this is definitely worth a resurrect resurrection because of it's 13 episodes plus it has a second season so it probably has enough of the original source material to be flushed out Mm -hmm. so i would say resurrect how about you
0: i was
1: uh sort of in that camp that you had mentioned too it's like thinking about on it like it's a good solid story and i uh, don't partake in the romance um slice of life genre. So I don't really know about any other uh, animes to really compare it to. You mentioned Oron Host Club, and I know that's a big popular one as well. So I, if if I had seen Oron Host Club, I can have a better comparison to it. But I feel like with this franchise, it has more of a linear story, which I would prefer. And or on Host Club, it's more slice of life again with the uh high energy uh comedy that this uh work has, it sort of reminds me of uh working right where it's just like high energy and uh the gags are uh decent and I would say that this is probably like a more linear version of working. Uh, story-wise. And I believe I did Resurrect working. And as I said, like mostly with comedies, um, if I want to keep going, that usually means that it's pretty good. I would say, I would probably just be a little worried that it may look its age uh, a little bit, but still the story and the English dub, because I watched it on the dub as well, it still works, uh it we're we're not getting Godzilla movie theater, so even though it may look older aesthetically, uh everything else about it is still fairly up to date. So I would say resurrect as
0: well.
2: Alright, wonderful. So two resurrects, yeah. And yeah, specifically that it looks aged because they're going for a very early nine or sorry, late nineties aesthetic. So it is Uh a 2012 property, but it is drawn or animated in a way that it calls back to the 90s. So it is like if you're looking at it through modern sensibilities or aesthetics, it feels aged Uh without actually being aged. So, yeah, that's a lot of things you have to be careful of, because we talk about that a bunch after visiting a property after 10 years. It's like, yeah, decade by decade, the aesthetic of animation changes, especially with the techniques that are being developed. So yeah, it looks it looks old without being old, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a case of that here. But yeah, but we'll see more about that um probably next time. But yeah, what is the next anime that we Exactly? Have?
1: So as Jay said, we both gave a resounding resurrect on Kami Kiss, And the next episode we will be reviewing the east blue episode for one piece and afterwards we will be going over the franchise known as the tomb
2: yeah because i'm just so excited to talk about, i'm so excited to talk to jackson about uh, jackson is a returning special guest from what was his original episode they did with us did he it do steins gate it was right. Steinsgate. yeah yes and he's a big one piece fan same as you and maybe me, baby. <laughs> wink, wink. But we, yeah. We might have
1: converted you.
2: <laughs> maybe. But yeah, I'm very excited to talk to Jackson about that. So yeah. So next episode is One Piece and then following Battoon, which I think, again, is my choice. So yeah, I'm looking forward to these next two episodes.
1: Yes, it's going to be quite the wild ride. And as you said, uh, Jackie's going to be very, very informative. And we'll get some thoughts on the upcoming movie. Uh, One Piece Red from him as well. And it's it's going to be fun. It was fun the first time with him. It's going to be fun the second time. And I can't wait for the next weeks to come. Aside from that, Jay, what have you got for us today? <laughs>
2: yeah, now I'll close. And as a final just reminder, because I'm so interested to see how this gets uh, animated on YouTube, we have a separate division between the full episode on Spotify and iTunes and then a just review of the 10 year anniversary review on YouTube for the animations and all that visual goodness that Sam does but yeah for closing I have another lyrics let's keep going with the lyrics for closing so this is God of Thunder by Kiss so you know Kami-sama no Kiss and God of Thunder from last episode you get it All right, so it goes. I'm the lord of the wastelands, a modern day man of steel. I gather darkness to please me and command you to kneel before the god of thunder and rock and roll, the spell you're under. I'll slowly rob you of your virgin soul.